Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming. As uh, was said, we are starting a series on transformational prayer. The title may seem rather enormous, but I hope as I read the passage to you, I can point out how that title has been reached. So we're beginning tonight with uh, what is commonly known as Paul's Prayer uh, to the Colossians or for the Colossians. And we're beginning in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that. That's the transformation that is being prayed for in this passage. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Rhoda and I have visited a prison in a foreign country. We were thoroughly checked as we entered. Then we were led by guards through a maze of corridors and eventually came out into a wide courtyard, which encircled a huge, bleak building with gratings on every opening. We crossed the courtyard and entered this central building. It was dark and humid. Armed guards escorted us to an upper floor where prisoners were in cells built for 20, but now were accommodating double that number, and they took turns to lie down while others stood. We cannot enter the cell, but there is a hatch on the door about shoulder height, and it's 12 inches square. We are told to crouch below the hatch as the guards open it. The putrid hot air drifts upwards and rises above us and faces jostle to peer out. They are Christians. Some have trusted Jesus in that cell. They long to glimpse us even for a moment. Then they tell us, we're studying Romans 12 today. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. But let's discuss Revelation 5, about him who with his blood purchased us for God from every nation. Then they sang about him. At the end, we remember that 12-inch square filling with outstretched hands and ours, interlocking with theirs as we prayed together. 
It was unforgettable. Here Paul is in prison in Rome, and he is reflecting on such times of prayer. He remembers the day that Epiphras came and told him about the Colossians, and as a result, he is writing this letter to them. Colossae is the least important place that Paul ever wrote to. In times past, it was important, but in Roman times, when Paul was in the prison, it had declined and it was insignificant in comparison to its neighbors, Laodicea and Hierapolis. If you feel insignificant, may this encourage you. You are not insignificant in God's eyes. And someone is praying for you, as Paul and his friends prayed for the Colossians. I say Paul and his friends, because Paul writes in verse 9, and I quote it again, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this is not just Paul's prayer. Those others and Paul, in a sense, linked hands together as they prayed. And what we have here is a nutshell presentation of their perseverance in prayers for the Colossians over days, months, and years now distilled by the Holy Spirit as he controlled the pen of Paul as he wrote on the parchment. Paul never met the Colossians, but he never stopped praying for them. We can pray for each other and for churches without ever seeing each other. It's the wonder of prayer. Praying and asking is what they were doing here. Asking, you see, is, is asking a specific interest from God. And here they ask two things from God. That the Colossians will know God's will and that they will have the power to do that will and to do it well. Overall, the Colossians are doing well. So do they need prayed for, Paul? Paul says yes. Why does he say yes? Because we should not just pray for those who are having problems, but also for those who seem to be getting on fine. And we should be conscious that God is beside you anytime, anywhere. And as Paul would encourage us here, talk with him often. Be aware of God and be aware of people. I remember many years ago, I came upon a crash scene. It was a bad one. The driver of one car was absolutely motionless. But I went over and I prayed beside him. And I related the gospel that he might hear it and trust in Jesus for eternal life. You see, God was there as he is everywhere. And we should call upon him when he is near. Prayer is answered by God. So verse 9 We prayed. Who is Paul talking about in this we? Well, there was Paul. And we're told in this epistle, there was his fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. There was Timothy, 
who's there at the beginning, visiting with his genuine care for how people get on. Epiphras was visiting with news of the Colossians. Onesimus, the runaway slave who belonged to Philemon in Colossae, is newly saved. Paul had led him to trust in Christ. Antichicus, who had faithfully followed Paul from Ephesus to Jerusalem to Rome, he's there. And these and others join together in the prison to pray for a reason given in verses 4 to 8, which is previous to where we read. Because the news they had heard from Epiphras, who had first preached the gospel to these Colossians, as he told about their faith in Christ, their love in the Spirit for all the saints, their hope of heaven, that they'd heard the true gospel, that they'd believed it, and continued proclaiming it. There were things to pray about here for these Colossians. And yes, Epiphras came to tell Paul, we might say about issues in the church at Colossae, but he had many good things to report. Hang on to the good things about your fellow Christians. Remember them when times are difficult. And soon Tychicus would be the courier of this letter, along with Onesimus, back to Colossae, back to Philemon, in whose house the church apparently gathered in Colossae, and who will receive Onesimus, now not just a slave, but a brother in the Lord. And among Paul's closing comments in this letter is that Tychicus and Onesimus will together tell you all that's happening here. Isn't that wonderful? Onesimus lands meeting Paul in this prison. He becomes a believer. And Paul says, I can send you back with Tychicus. You're both brothers. And together you will tell Philemon all that's been going on. This prison cell in Rome was a place buzzing with the work of God in so many ways and affecting so many people. Just picture the joy of Paul as friends visited him and they prayed together. They pray that God may fill you with the knowledge of his will. Firstly, we must listen to God. Knowing God's will is not speculation. It's not asking for what we want but seeking that his will may be done. And God's will changes us from the inside outwards, creating a newness of life, a fresh, vibrant, fulfilled life, so that our plans, deeds, our whole life is ruled by the will of God. So it says, so be filled, be filled. Be filled as a ship, with every hold filled with cargo, is ready for its voyage. So we believers are filled, and we're ready for the journey of life ahead. Note that God does the filling with his will, revealing himself through his word to those who seek after him, and our knowledge of God's will will be tested by the practical outcomes in our life. Hence, the verse says, it is through all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Spurgeon said that knowledge is the shoot, wisdom is the full corn in the ear. Knowledge is the cloth, wisdom is the garment. Knowledge is the timber which builds the house. 
You see, wisdom is knowledge rightly used in practical and spiritual problems, and wisdom is applied in life with understanding. One example that's often quoted is about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson going camping. And one night, Sherlock Holmes apparently said to Dr. Watson, Watson, look up at the sky. What do you see? And Watson said, millions of stars. What does that tell you, said Sherlock? Astronomically, millions of stars. Um, Time-wise, it's 3.15 a.m. Theologically, God is omnipotent, and we seem very small. Uh, Meteorologically, it's going to be a good day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Sherlock? And Sherlock apparently said, someone has stolen our tent. You see, you can have all the knowledge, but unless you can apply it with wisdom and understanding, you've lost it altogether. So this is why Paul says, yeah, get knowledge from God, but God will also give you wisdom and understanding to apply it. And so verse 10, and we pray this in order that, here is the transformation, you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So here's the result, here's the transformation in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. It's not just acquiring knowledge, but as it is transforming your life. This is the walk of a true follower of Christ, who always remembers how costly his salvation was. Because you see, worthy of the Lord carries with it the sense that it's not the approval of others who say you're walking worthily of the Lord, but it's actually the Lord himself who in this sense of worthiness weighs you in the balance himself. And he says your walk is worthy. And pleasing Christ in every way is the end purpose. We love Christ because he first loved us. It's not just to obey because you should, but appreciating our Savior and the beauty of the finished task that you're doing for him. There's this sense in the word pleasing that you're anticipating the reaction. His pleasure as you do his will, because the Holy Spirit has gently prompted you to do something. And the nearest Um, example I can get to it as I was thinking about it was it's like producing a child's favorite sweet when they didn't ask for it and as you present it you see the child smile and their eyes glisten with joy yes Jesus appreciates all you do for him and his eyes glisten with joy as he says you and me fulfilling his will Pleasing Christ, keep on bearing fruit in every good work, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Display Christ in this world. We love to do his will. And good works, good works are the fruit of God's grace in our lives today. Not the cause for him blessing us tomorrow. Like Psalm 1, we are as trees planted by brooks of water bearing fruit in season. Keep on bearing fruit. Keep on growing in the knowledge of God. Why should you want to know God? Because he is God. He will satisfy you. It is life-changing. The 
song says, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You know, the other week, it's sometimes the simplest things that can touch somebody's heart. But the other week, Ian Hepburn was, was preaching here. And there was somebody here that day. And they went and they spoke to Ian. And amongst all the things he said to them, which I have no idea what they were, he made this one statement, I really love God. And that person was so affected by those four words, I really love God, that they came and they told me, you know, I really want to know God and love him like that. Be encouraged. Your simple statements about what you know about God can be life-transforming in someone else's life. So be encouraged. Pass on what you know, however simple you may think it is. Verses 11 and 12. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Keep on being strengthened. It's a continual, ongoing process. We need it, but God provides it. The God who is able to do far exceedingly above all that we ask or think. Paul in prison said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You say, what, Paul? You're in prison. And Paul would say, yes, but I accept that it's God's will that I am here. So call upon his power to deal with situations. For it is not out of his glorious might, but according to his glorious might. What immense resources are available to us as we turn to God. And God pours unlimited power into our weakness, producing results that are far beyond what we can ask or think. So God tells us his will, and he gives us the power to fulfill it. This strength is a gift from God. It's something that you and I can never and will never find within our natural self. It is purely a gift from God. That you may have great endurance and patience. To stand for Christ, even in trials, is like the overcoming endurance and patience of Job in the Old Testament. It's the Holy Spirit-given ability to bear a burden without complaint. To bear it well and turn it into glory. God's promises help you to endure. And endurance does gain the victory. Now, if great endurance is about things, then patience is about people. Patience, when people are opposed, they're difficult, they're irritating. That patience that keeps you from resentment and bitterness and despair. It's the patient temperament we saw in our Lord Jesus as he was led like a lamb. It's the Holy Spirit-given ability in the believer to bear unjust treatment and provocation without retaliating. If endurance, great endurance, is strength that no thing can overcome, 
then patience is strength that no person can overcome. Last week, I was looking in a rock pool with Nathaniel and Rebecca, and we saw this whelp inside his shell, and he's crawling across the stones in the pool. And I put my hand down to get a hold of him, and he withdrew into his shell instantly. And as I took a hold of his shell and tried to move him, I couldn't move him. I thought, wow, what a picture, you know. We stand fast in Christ. He's the anchor of our soul. Remember that. And don't be moved. You've got a power within you that can overcome all things and cannot be overcome by any of them or by any person. Great endurance and patience is our strength. And joyfully, that's joy conquering faith. Radiant joy despite difficulties. Not a grim struggle with events and people, but a joy that's rooted in the soil of struggles. And it endures. It's victorious in circumstances and it's patient with people. So keep on joyfully giving thanks to the Father because all has come from the Father and from us returns the joyful thanks. As the psalmist says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Because God qualifies you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. This inheritance, our lot assigned by the grace of God who qualifies us for it, makes us fit for us for it and makes us partakers of it personally and individually. Peter called it the incorruptible, undefiled, unfading inheritance reserved in the heavens for us. Reserved. And your name is written there now. It belongs to you. And one day you're going to reach there and you're going to enjoy it. God has qualified you in Christ to be there eternally. It is all God's doing. God in Christ reconciling you to himself. Yes, one day I will meet Jesus. He is my Savior, and there will be no condemnation. I'm perfectly righteous and justified in Him forever. I hope to see you there, because He'll come forward, and He'll greet us, and He'll meet us. He'll put His arms around us, and He'll welcome us into that family gathering. And He'll say to each of us, my child, you're blessed forever. Sit at my table along with these others. You are mine forever. And we'll just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you that I'm here. When you see God at work in your life down here, thank him. And grasp the future glory. When the years of time are past and eternity dawns with unending light, where no sun shall ever set, where God dwells with his redeemed, who will see the glory of God shining in and from the face of Jesus in that kingdom of light. It's the brilliance of God. 
It's uncreated light. You and I are going to enjoy it forever. So let us be transformed by prayer for reasons past and hopes to come until that day when we are fully transformed with bodies of glory and we shall see Jesus face to face and as he is, so shall we be. Let us thrive when being transformed by prayer.